Volume four, chapter six, part one of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Jeanne. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney. Volume four, chapter six, A Man of the Town, part one. At the door of the Pantheon, they were joined by Mr. Arnott and Sir Robert Floyer, whom Cecilia now saw with added aversion. They entered the great room during the second act of the concert, to which, as no one of the party but herself had any desire to listen, no sort of attention was paid, the ladies entertaining themselves as if no orchestra was in the room, and the gentlemen, with an equal disregard to it, struggling for a place by the fire, about which they continued hovering till the music was over. Soon after they were seated, Mr. Meadows, sauntering towards them, whispered something to Mrs. Mears, who, immediately rising, introduced him to Cecilia, after which, the place next to her being vacant, he cast himself upon it, and lolling as much at his ease as his situation would permit, began something like a conversation with her. "'Have you been long in town, ma'am?' "'No, sir.' this is not your first winter of being in town it is then you have something new to see oh charming how i envy you are you pleased with the pantheon very much i have seen no building at all equal to it you have not been abroad travelling is the ruin of all happiness there is no looking at a building here after seeing italy does all happiness then depend upon the sight of buildings said cecilia when turning towards her companion she perceived him yawning with such evident inattention to her answer that not choosing to interrupt her with reverie she turned her head another way for some minutes he took no notice of this and then as if suddenly recollecting himself he called out hastily i beg your pardon ma'am you were saying something no no sir nothing worth repeating oh pray don't punish me so severely as not to let me hear it Cecilia, though merely not to seem offended at his negligence, was then again beginning to answer, when, looking at him as she spoke, she perceived that he was biting his nails with so absent an air that he appeared not to know he had asked any question. She therefore broke off and left him to his cogitation. Some time after he addressed her again, saying, "'Don't you find this place extremely tiresome, ma'am?' "'Yes, sir,' said she, half laughing. "'It is indeed not very entertaining.' nothing is entertaining answered he for two minutes together things are so little different from one another that there is no making pleasure out of anything we go the same dull round for ever nothing new no variety all the same thing over again are you fond of public places ma'am yes sir soberly as lady grace says then i envy you extremely for you have some amusement always in your own power how desirable that is and have not you the same resources oh no I am tired to death, tired of everything. I would give all universe for a disposition less difficult to please. Yet, after all, what is there to give pleasure? When one has seen one thing, one has seen everything. Oh, tis heavy work. Don't you find it so, ma'am? This speech was ended with so violent a fit of yawning that Cecilia would not trouble herself to answer it, but her silence, as before, passed wholly unnoticed, exciting neither question nor comment. A long pause now succeeded, which she broke at last, by saying, as he writhed himself about upon his seat, These forms would be much more agreeable if there were backs to them. This intolerable to be forced to sit like a schoolboy. The first study of life is ease. There is indeed no other study that pays the trouble of attainment. Don't you think so, ma'am? 
but may not even that said cecilia by so much study become labour i am vastly happy you think so sir i beg your pardon ma'am but i thought you said i really beg your pardon but i was thinking of something else you did very right sir said cecilia laughing for what i said by no means merited any attention will you do me the favour to repeat it cried he taking out his glass to examine some lady at a distance oh no said cecilia that would be trying your patience too severely these glasses show one nothing but defects said he i am sorry they were ever invented they are the ruin of all beauty no complexion can stand them i believe that solo will never be over i hate a solo it sinks it depresses me intolerably you will presently sir said cecilia looking at the bill of the concert have a full piece and that i hope will revive you a full piece oh insupportable it stunts it fatigues it overpowers me beyond endurance no taste in it no delicacy no room for the smallest feeling perhaps then you are only fond of singing i should be if i could ever hear it but we are now so miserably often voices that i hardly ever attempt to listen to a song without fancying myself deaf from the feebleness of the performers i hate everything that requires attention nothing gives pleasure that does not force its own way you only then like loud voices and great powers oh worse and worse no nothing is so disgusting to me all my amazement is that these people think it worth while to give concerts at all one is sick to death of music nay cried cecilia if it gives no pleasure at least it takes none away for far from being any impediment to conversation i think everybody talks more during the performance than between the acts and what is there better you could substitute in its place cecilia receiving no answer to this question again looked round to see if she had been heard when she observed her new acquaintance with a very thoughtful air had turned from her to fix his eyes upon the statue of britannia very soon after he hastily arose and seeming entirely to forget that he had spoke to her very abruptly walked away mr gosford who was advancing to cecilia and had watched part of the scene stopped him as he was retreating and said why meadows how's this are you caught at last oh worn to death worn to a thread cried he stretching himself and yawning i have been talking with a young lady to entertain her oh such heavy work i would not go through it again for millions what have you talked yourself out of breath no but the effort the effort oh it has unhinged me for a fortnight entertaining a young lady one had better be a galley-slave at once well but did she not pay your toils she is surely a sweet creature nothing can pay one for such insufferable exertion though she's well enough too better than the common run but shy quite too shy no drawing her out i thought that was to your taste you commonly hate much volubility how have i heard you bemoan yourself when attacked by miss larolles larolles oh distraction she talks me into a fever in two minutes but so it is for ever nothing but extremes to be met with common girls are too forward this lady is too reserved always some fault always some drawback nothing ever perfect nay nay cried mr gosport you do not know her she is perfect enough in all conscience better not know her then answered he again yawning for she cannot be pleasing nothing perfect is natural i hate everything out of nature he then strolled on and mr gosport approached cecilia i have been wishing cried he to address you this half-hour but as you were engaged with mr meadows i did not dare advance oh i see your malice cried cecilia 
You were determined to add weight to the value of your company, by making me fully sensible where the ballast would preponderate. Nay, if you do not admire Mr. Meadows, cried he, you must not even whisper it to the winds. Is he then so very admirable? Oh, he is now at the very height of fashionable favor. His dress is a model, his manners are imitated, his attention is courted, and his notice is envied. Are you not laughing? No, indeed. His privileges are much more extensive than I have mentioned. His decision fixes the exact limits between what is vulgar and what is elegant. His praise gives reputation, and a word from him in public confers fashion. And by what wonderful powers has he acquired such influence? By nothing but a happy art in catching the reigning foibles of the times, in carrying them to an extreme yet more absurd than any one had done before him. Ceremony, he found, was already exploded for ease. He, therefore, exploded ease for indolence. Devotion to the fair sex had given way to a more equal and rational intercourse, which, to push still further, he presently exchanged for rudeness. Joviality, too, was already banished for philosophical indifference, and that, therefore, he discarded for weariness and disgust. And is it possible that qualities such as these should recommend him to favor and admiration? Very possible, for qualities such as these constitute the present taste of the times. A man of the ton, who would now be conspicuous in the gay world, must invariably be insipid, negligent, and selfish. Admirable requisites, cried Cecilia, and Mr. Meadows, I acknowledge, seems to have attained them all. He must never, continued Mr. Gosport, confess the least pleasure from anything, a total apathy being the chief ingredient of his character. He must, upon no account, sustain a conversation with any spirit, lest he should appear, to his utter disgrace, interested in what is said. And when he is quite tired of his existence, from a total vacuity of ideas, he must affect a look of absence, and pretend, on the sudden, to be wholly lost in thought. I would not wish, said Cecilia, laughing, a more amiable companion. If he is asked his opinion of any lady, he continued, he must commonly answer by grimace, and if he is seated next to one, he must take the utmost pains to show by his listlessness, yawning, and inattention, that he is sick of his situation. For what he holds of all things to be most gothic is gallantry to the women. To avoid this is, indeed, the principal solicitude of his life. If he sees a lady in distress for her carriage, he is to inquire of her what is the matter, and then with a shrug wish her well through her fatigues, wink at some bystander, or walk away. If he is in a room where there is a crowd of company, and a scarcity of seats, he must early ensure one of the best in the place, be blind to all looks of fatigue, and deaf to all hints of assistance, and seeming totally to forget himself, lounge at his ease, and appear unconscious spectator of what is going forward. If he is at a ball, where there are more women than men, he must decline dancing at all, though it should happen to be his favorite amusement, and smiling as he passes the disengaged young ladies, wonder to see them sit still, and perhaps ask them the reason. A most alluring character, indeed, cried Cecilia, and pray how long have these been the accomplishments of a fine gentleman? I am but an indifferent chronologer of the modes, he answered, but I know it has been long enough to raise just expectations that some new folly will be started soon, by which the present race of insensibilists may be driven out. Mr. Meadows is now at the head of this sect, as Miss LaRose is of the voluble, and Miss Leeson of the supercilious. But this way comes another, who, though in a different manner, labors with the same view, and aspires at the same reward, which stipulates the ambition of this happy triplet, 
that of exciting wonder by peculiarity and envy by wonder this description announced captain Aresby, who advancing from the fireplace told cecilia how much he rejoiced in seeing her said he had been reduced to despair by so long missing that honour and that he had feared she made it a principle to avoid coming in public having sought her in vain partour he then smiled and strolled on to another party in pray of what sect said cecilia is this gentleman of the sect of jargonus answered mr gosport he has not an ambition beyond paying a passing compliment nor a word to make use of that he has not picked up at public places yet this darth of language however you may despise it is not merely owing to a narrow capacity floppery and conceit have their share in the limitation for though his phrases are almost always ridiculous or misapplied they are selected with much study and introduced with infinite pains poor man cried cecilia is it possible it can cost him any trouble to render himself so completely absurd yes but not more than it cost his neighbours to keep him in countenance miss leeson since she had presided over the sect of the supercilious spends at least half her life in wishing the annihilation of the other half for as she must only speak in her own coterie she is compelled to be frequently silent and therefore having nothing to think of she is commonly known with self-denial and soured with want of amusement miss larolles indeed is better off for in talking faster than she thinks she has but followed the natural bend of her disposition as to this poor jargonist he has i must own rather a hard task from the continual restraint of speaking only out of his own lilliputian vocabulary and denying himself the relief of ever uttering one word by the call of occasion but what hardship is that compared with what is borne by mr meadows who since he commenced insensiblest has never once dared to be pleased nor ventured for a moment to look in good humour surely then said cecilia in a short time the punishment of this affectation will bring its cure no for the trick grows into habit and habit is a second nature a secret idea of fame makes his forbearance of happiness supportable to him for he has now the self-satisfaction of considering himself raised to that higher pinnacle of fashionable refinement which is built upon apathy and scorn and from which proclaiming himself superior to all possibility of enjoyment he views the whole world with contempt holding neither beauty virtue wealth nor power of importance sufficient to kindle the smallest emotion oh that they could all round listen to you cried cecilia they would soon i think sicken of their folly if they heard it thus admirably exposed no they would but triumph that it had obtained them so much notice but pray do you see that gentleman or don't you choose to know him who has been bowing to you this half-hour where cried cecilia and looking around perceived mr maurice who upon her returning his salutation instantly approached her though he had never ventured to show himself at mr harrel's since his unfortunate accident on the evening of the masquerade entirely casting aside the easy familiarity at which he had latterly arrived he inquired after her health with the most fearful diffidence and then bowing profoundly was modestly retiring when mrs harrel perceiving him smiled with so much good humour that he gathered courage to return and address her and found her to his infinite delight as obliging and civil as ever the concert was now over the ladies arose and the gentlemen joined them maurice at sight of mr harrel was again shrinking but mr harrel immediately shaking hands with him inquired what had kept him so long for portman square maurice then 
finding to his great surprise that no one had thought more of the mischief but himself who had committed it, joyously discarded his timidity and became as sprightly as before his mortification. A motion was now made for going to the tea-room, and as they walked on, Cecilia, in looking up to examine the building, saw in one of the galleries young Deville, and almost at the same time caught his eye. Scarcely now did a moment elapse before he joined her, the sight of him strongly reviving in her mind the painful contrariety of opinion with which she had lately thought of him, the sentiment so much in his favour which but a few days before she had encouraged, and which it was only that morning she had endeavoured to crush, made her meet him with a kind of melancholy that almost induced her to lament he was amiable, and repine that she knew none like him. His appearance, meantime, was far different. He seemed enchanted at the sight of her, he flew eagerly to meet her, and his eyes sparkled with pleasure as he approached her, a pleasure neither moderate nor disguised, but lively, unrestrained, and expressive. Cecilia, whose plans since she had last seen him had twice varied, who first had looked forward to being united with him for ever, and afterwards had determined to avoid with him even a common acquaintance, could not, while these thoughts were all recurring to her memory, receive much delight from observing his gaiety or feel at all gratified by his unembarrassed manners. The openness of his attentions, and the frankness of his admiration, which hitherto had charmed her as marks of the sincerity of his character, now shocked her as proofs of the indifference of his heart, which feeling for her a mere common regard, that affected neither his spirits nor his peace, he manifested without scruple, since it was not accompanied with even a wish beyond the present hour. She now, too, recollected that such had always been his conduct, one single and singular moment accepted, when, as he gave to her his letter from Mr. Belfield, he seemed struck, as she was herself, by the extraordinary coincidence of their ideas and proceedings. That emotion, however, she now regarded as casual and transitory, and seeing him so much happier than herself, she felt ashamed of her delusion and angry at her easy captivation. Reflections such as these, though they added fresh motives to her resolution of giving up all thoughts of his alliance, were yet so humiliating that they robbed her of all power of receiving pleasure from what was passing, and made her forget that the place she was in was even intended for a place of entertainment. Young Deville, after painting in lively colors the loss of his house had sustained by her quitting it, and dwelling with equal force upon the regret of his mother and his own, asked in a low voice if she would do him so much honour as to introduce him to Mr. Harrel. As the son, he added, of a brother guardian, I think I have a kind of claim to his acquaintance. Cecilia could not refuse, though as the request was likely to occasion more frequent meeting, she persuaded herself she was unwilling to comply. The ceremony therefore passed, and was again repeated with Mrs. Harrel, who, though she had several times seen him, had never been formally made known to him. End of chapter 6, part 1. Recording by Jeanne, Washington, D.C.